The Writer's Room, a 7th C podcast, is endorsed by Chaosium, Inc. For more information, visit www.chaosiuminc.com forward slash 7th C and use the code WRITER10 for 10% off your next site-wide purchase. Limit one per customer. Hello, friends. Officer Durs was instructed to give you a box of tissues. I see that you have them. And Officer Cheshire has ensured me that that door creak is not only loud, but comforting. Now, as you head to your seat, I will warn you that your cushion might be extra comfortable and that your stuffies might be extra cuddly, thanks to Officer Raven and Covington's efforts to make them so. Officer Nightingale has not only set out your tea for you, but has also set out a little sweet from Officer Melouette. Officer Thrith has made sure that not only are the logs ready to be thrown on the hearth, but that the coals are nice and cozy. Officer Stewart and Tarkin, as always, have checked to make sure that your pockets aren't full of milk, which I certainly hope they wouldn't be. That would be silly. And the silliness goes down next door. And I'd also like to welcome Officer Navaria, who has taken the role of resident scribe, and double-checks what the scribe sent to me. Officer V has not only given me the book, but is sitting next to me to hold my hand as I read it. Because it is bittersweet today. While Article 12 was technically the finale, Article 13 is an epilogue of sorts. This episode was specifically curated to wrap up any story steps that were left hanging after the finale. And so, without any further ado, Article 13. The Fate of the Thorn. camera fades from black, and the first thing that we see is an overcast, dreary sky, heavy with rain, but will not fall. And as we pan down to the ocean, we see white caps, the waves probably around five to ten feet tall. The sailing is not smooth, and we see a ship plowing those waves. That ship is none other than the Thorn, and as we transition through one of the portholes into the captain's quarters, who do we find? I imagine he would be starting the day off with an officer's meeting, so preparing in the office, he's got the coffee already started and ready to go and is working on plotting out the course. There is a knock at the door, and Wesley enters. He looks like he hasn't slept. And if he did, he didn't sleep well. Morning, Captain. You wanted to see me? Wesley, I'm going to have you gather the officers for a meeting. And make sure Eris slightly is invited, too. I'm away, sir. Wesley leaves, but the camera stays in the quarters. And I do believe Kieran is in there, too, if I'm correct. 
Kieran's been up early too. He's actually sitting behind an easel at the moment after cleaning up the grief motivated mess that he made the night before. And he's painting while he hums a little song under his breath. Farewell and adieu, Castilian lady. Farewell and adieu, my love from Castile. For we've received orders for to sail new horizons. Oh, I hope in a short time to see you again. I'll notch my belt. That's one. <laughs> Are we going to keep uh, Can we get a cry counter up, please? <laughs> a different kind of bucket. A different kind of bucket. <laughs> a tears a bucket. bucket. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I love you all. Love you too, Natalie. Mallory woke up after Kieran, but I think they sort of left the quarters a little wordlessly when they saw that, you know, Kieran was busy and they didn't really know how to how to say anything so they've returned to their lab and are trying to go through the motions of doing lab work again but eventually like nothing gets done they've turned over a bunch of notes and a bunch of pages and they've set aside some chemicals but they're not lighting any candles or Bunsen burners or anything and instead they are researching a different book They've taken one of Kieran's sketchbooks and are flicking through it. Oh, uh, okay. Interesting. The coconut sits forlornly in the corner and does not look in any particular direction. Dala, what are you doing? Dala did not sleep very well. And so as soon as Wesley knocks on her door, she just gets up which is very unlike her. She's not a morning person. So she's not used to being awake and alert this early. She cleans up her space, picks up all the journals off the floor, scratches down a few notes in some of them, out of habit, takes a couple little notes on what she saw from Coco in that like secret journal that she had been taking notes on and just kind of keeps up with stuff. And then Dala goes to the kitchen to help start with breakfast because she's never up early enough to do that, and today feels like a good day. Amboise, where are you? Amboise is currently outside his door, lying on the ground with his back against it. He has a stopwatch in his hand, and he's constantly clicking it, resetting it, clicking it, resetting it, trying to sort out his priorities. Should he be going to deal with whatever chaos he's unleashed in the ways? Should he be going after Angelica? Should he be trying to just help the crew get back to some concept of normal? He's not sure. You hear Wesley's little footsteps coming across the deck. And he stops. He's always been a little cautious around the door, as though it could open at any moment and reveal to him the horrors inside. But he does relax when he sees you, if only just. I am was. Captain's calling a meeting. If in you, you fancy you want to come, is all. Wesley? Aye, sir. You know as much as anyone else says when the captain calls a meeting, you show up to the meeting. Oh, sure, sir, but you're different. I don't mean that to be rude. I, 
when Angelica was here, she told me that you're our sorcery supreme. Sorry, sorcerer supreme, and that means that you don't have to come because you got better things to do, more important things to do. Wesley, what do you know about family? A family? I know a lot about family. I have a twin brother, and well, we had a dad, but he passed away, and we got a mum. So, I'd reckon a lot. What do you know about Port or Porte Sorcerers? Nothing, really. Um, other than it's... He looks at the door, then back at you, and gulps. Uh, scary. One of the key elements of this particular sorcery is the blood. Blood links you to family, and every practitioner has an easy connection to their family. So easy, in fact, that one of the first skills we learn is how to reach our family. Well, that must be nice, though, being able to go see your family whenever you want. I did not find family. All I found was this. And he hits his head against the door behind him. Wesley, seemingly for the first time, takes a very long look at the door. And then he puts his hand on it. I have learned something, however. And what's that? Sometimes the strongest bonds are not in... The blood that is supposed to be your family, but in the family that you make. That's right. So I implore you to understand that the people on the ship, they are my family. And right now, there is nothing more important than that. Well, in that case, big brother Diego wants you upstairs. Come on, let's not keep him waiting. And Wesley holds out his hand to you. You know what? He takes it. Wesley helps you to stand, doesn't let go of your hand, and begins to walk with you. We might not be blood, Amboise, but you're my little brother regardless. Little brother? Really, monsieur, you are how many years younger than me? Doesn't matter the age. Mm. What matters is the attitude, and you've been nothing but reckless, little brother. <laughs> Isn't that right, Gabriella? Oh, that's not fair. You know that whatever Gabriella says is true. Gabriella lifts her head up from the cannon she's working on. You come home fucking drenched in blood, of course I'm gonna treat you like a child. <laughs> fine, fine. Say lovey. You don't gotta worry anymore, Amboise. Big Brother Wesley's gonna take care of you. Come on, let's away. And we transition to the captain's quarters, where Diego is having a meeting. I think it is important to start off with some good news from our previous engagements. We've got a good haul on our cargo hold. So when we return to port, everyone will get nicely paid and uh, probably a little bonus in there too. Now... We need a place where we can set sail and set anchor at. And I think that is going to be San Felipe. It is on Castile's turf. There shouldn't be that many ATC ships around, so we can get a nice, smooth sailing trip back home. Been sending letters, so I think it should be decently safe around there. It'll be a good port for everyone to get the nice city experience, get cleaned up a bit... And then it will be easy for me to meet up with Liliana and 
then your ship will be free to do what you will with it. I don't think it's any surprise that I am going to be heading out at the first opportunity now that the world is saved. And uh, I wish you all best of luck with this ship. Now, my word won't mean anything once I leave, but my recommendation is for Dala to take over as captain. What? This is a ship of Thea. It gets rebuilt as it breaks down. It still remains a ship of Thea. And I know we all have a home here. But being a captain means looking out for the people around you and making tough decisions to make sure they are safe. And I trust Dala to do that. Tough decisions like being the second captain to leave this ship in a week. I don't know how to be a captain. I've never even thought about it. That's why you'll do a good job, darling. You always do. You just close your eyes and you think to yourself, what would Angelica say? I'll give you a hint. It starts off with Cazadores. Wesley was really happy at that. And then slowly he started to get more confused and then shocked and then happy again, and then he's confused again. And finally he says, Wait, does that mean Angelica's not coming back? Is this for real life? As captain of the Marines, I spend every day making the preparations that one of us, two of us, three of us, four of us, any combination of us will not be coming home that day. So that is what I prepare for, and that is what I act upon. So then, you lied to me. You lied to all of us. When you said that... When you said that Angelica and Sire were gone, you meant to say that they were... dead. Right? It would not be wrong to say that. Some part of her died on that shore. Some part of a lot of us died on that shore. Hey, but we saved the world, right? That's what it was all fucking about in the first place. Something like that. So then, what are we doing going to Castile? What are we going to do there? You can do whatever you like in Castile. Uh, it should be easy enough to get escort jobs or transport jobs. You can actually go fight some monsters if you prefer. I know fighting the ATC was always a passion of mine and a passion of Angelica's, but I I don't think that is something I would advise for you all. Diego, uh, sorry, Captain, will you be safe in Castile? Last I checked, it's not exactly a stable political environment. Yeah, we made sure of that. Not to mention, aren't you and everyone here wanted? Except Kieran, I suppose. Oh no, Kieran's image is there, but they always get his nose wrong. <laughs> well, Kieran's got a contingency. Well, I have some pretty good connections up at the court. So, I think I can leverage that with some disguises and remain in hiding. Plus, you've seen me fight. I don't have to worry about danger in Castile or anywhere else. But what if there's a barricade? Like there was in Numa. Oh, if you just get me close enough, I think that is fine. Captain, it's not fine. Nothing about this is fine. I'm not about to lose anybody else. And 
You can't take on the whole Castilian armada by yourself. I don't care how tough you think you are. You can't. Not without us. Tala puts a hand on Wesley's shoulder in like a comforting way. Diego, if there's any way we can get you back to her. We'll do it. You know we're gonna help. Oh, I'm getting back to Liliana. Don't any of you worry about that or doubt that for a second. And I would be honored to have you by my side. Honor's got nothing to do with it. I'm going to be by your side whether you like it or not. And you're damn sure you're not getting off this boat without me. I won't get off this boat until you give me permission. Good. Dala's going to elbow Wesley. Maybe Wesley should be captain. Oh, I don't want to be Captain Dolak. Being Captain's way too much work. I gotta take care of all these people, and it's bad enough I have to walk around and wake them all up in the morning. Can you imagine if they had to take orders from me? Dolak's smiling at Wesley and kind of like, it, it was a joke. I wasn't trying to call you out. Oh, sorry. I, I, I guess I'll go tell Gabriella we should prepare for whatever it is that we're gonna come across at San Felipe. Right. Oh, sorry. I'm away. Before you go, Wesley, I, I know Diego's the captain right now, and that. Theoretically, he can do whatever he wants, but I don't feel comfortable taking the title of being the next captain without some kind of vote. Should we get everyone together? Or is this an officer's thing? I don't I don't know the rules around this. I just want to make sure that everyone is at least aware that it's happening, if not okay with it. Whoever Diego names first mate is captain if he leaves. Could vote on that, I suppose. Who's in the running? I know it's not me. I have placed my vote. Dala, I think it might just be you in the running. All in favor of Dala's first mate? Aye. 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 Oh, well, that settles that then. Aye. And there it is. She's like leaning against a, a window, kind of off in the corner. We all forgot she was there. <laughs> so quiet, she hates to be the center of attention. I have seen you do a good job of filling in. When Saya is off with other responsibilities. You are promoted and you now have her job. You are the master of tops. You've earned it. I really hoped I could earn this position through my efforts and not like this. Uh, congratulations, I guess? <laughs> Don't know that that's appropriate, Mr. Wesley. Sorry. Get back up top and keep an eye on things for me. Captain? You wouldn't be on this ship if you hadn't earned your spot here. Blushes bright pink and scurries out the window, climbs up a rope. (laughs) (laughs) Elbows the window and dives out. (laughs) Exit stage window. Right, well, if there's nothing else you need of me, uh, I need to go take care of my morning routine and then I'll help make breakfast. I should go help make breakfast now, actually. Um, it smells like it's burning. <sighs> I'm away. I think there is, like, an awkward silence at the end after Wesley leaves of just, like, do what do we do now? Oh, I guess it's over. If I may pose a question, now that things aren't as dire and no one is at risk of death, will someone please, for the love of terror... Explain what happened back there. Please. Dala will look at Mallory to see if they are, like, looking like they want to be the person to explain it. And if they are making no motion, like they want to explain all of what just happened to Amboise, then Dala will step forward and, like, offer to take Amboise aside and kind of give him an overview. 
Uh, I think Mallory should probably do, like, one thing for themselves at some point in their life. I just want to give Mallory the space, because if they are not in a place to talk about it, they should not have to. Oh, I get you. Maybe they could go together. Yeah, maybe together. Dala's just there for moral support. Yeah. It starts with, like, Mallory walking forward. So I've been a Sandera sorcerer this whole time. I was hosting Coco, who was who is a demon. Saya was hosting an Ahura. Both of these things are already independently dangerous before you even get to the whole divine battle thing. And we, we both managed to stay off each other's radars for a long enough time, but I suppose with the discovery of Tia and this whole mythic quest we were sent on, things just couldn't stay hidden any longer. Yeah, and we get like a little montage of like some music playing in the background as everything is divulged, but meta knowledge is now Amboise's knowledge. You are now caught up. You know what the weirdest thing about that is? That is not surprising in this latest. None of what you have said has surprised me. Well, I am actually that smart. Like, he was just there to check my work. No, 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 not that. In no sense would I ever, ever say it wasn't smart. That you weren't smart, Mallory. If anything, the amount of restraint you have shown, given the vast amount of knowledge you had, proves that you are smarter than all of us. What caught me off guard was the sudden and terrible conflict we were powerless to stop. Had I known before, I would have gotten us away, and maybe things would have turned out differently. Je comprends. Kieran, did you know about Saya? I know a lot of things about Saya. Yes. I knew about the thing living inside of her. It was never a problem before. Saya had been struggling the last few days. Trouble sleeping. Nightmares. She woke both of us up one night when those wings manifested in her sleep. I guess I finally know why. He gives you kind of a sad, haunted look, Mallory. I... Well, I'm... I'm not going to apologize for for bringing him aboard. You shouldn't apologize for who you are. If I did that, I don't think I'd ever shut up. <laughs> but I am sorry it made things harder for her. Not for the thing inside her, but for her. Maybe you can tell her someday. With all due respect, I, I don't know if I could. If I may, there is only one way for you to find out. With her work done... I suppose we won't be a target anymore. Or perhaps we could live up to the hunting of monsters properly, even when those monsters are haunting the people we know. Ooh, I like where your mind is going, Amboise. Oh, Amboise, when Mallory looks at you, the bangs sweep slightly and you see a glimmer of something vilely delightful in their eyes. Speaking of that, Mallory... How do you look to the camera now? Mallory's hairstyle has not dramatically changed, but they are a lot less careful about keeping what once was supernatural hidden. And part of that is because the second set of eyes that had sat just below, sort of in the bags or crow's feet of their normal pair, they're not open anymore. They're not even closed. They're just these two crescent-shaped, jagged-stitched scars beneath their eyes. Dala, that's important for later. She's absolutely going to write that down. 
Did you know about the letters of Mark? Kieran's been painting the whole time. And when you ask that, he sets the brush down like he's trying to remember. The letters. How do you know about those? I asked the question first. I'm asking another one. I found them in the safe that Angelica has. Oh, that's less than pleasant to hear. Are they back there in the safe now? Yes, I put them there last night when you were sleeping. Kieran opens it up, takes them out. Have you ever seen these before? This sort of letter? I suppose not in person, but I know what it is. They were a present for the three of us from Angelica's mother. Coraline Morales can procure just about anything. And he goes over and shows you the little mark that is Coraline's stamp. They're fakes, Mallory. Fuck! (laughs) Oh my god. We are going to have a tiny flashback. I love it, yes. Oh my god, this is so good. This is so fucking good. (laughs) We flashback to across the sea in the Atabayan which is totally not the Caribbean, for those listening. So it's humid, it's sunny, it's kind of a beautiful day. It's like a beach. Did this happen on Aragosa, or did it happen, like, on a private island somewhere? It happened, I think, like a hidden away shoal, you know, like, on Aragosa, but, like, one of Caroline's secret places where she would unload and load cargo to different transport ships. It is nighttime, and there are torches stuck into the sand, and it's a very small group of people there. Fuck it. I did a Kumbos there, too. Yeah. I was going to say, is there anybody else you could still have a little tiny group? Like, is there anyone that would come for Saya? No. Like a friend or something? There's nobody? Saya doesn't have anyone. That's part of her backstory. (laughs) Maybe they're all dead. The people that showed up to be, like, the witnesses were Madam Wenshen for Kieran, I did a Kumbo for... Angelica and Lucky Sevens for Saya because Lucky Sevens is the oldest and luckiest pirate ever and he just goes to weddings all the time. (laughs) He gets invited to weddings all the time. Just some dude. The reason he's called Lucky Sevens is because he has lost seven parts of his body. He's also an old ass pirate, which does not happen. I like the idea that he will stand up for someone who doesn't have it. Like, if there's no one to come for mm. Saya, no family or anything, like, oh, well, Lucky Sevens will be here. He'll stand for this person. He's everybody's grandfather. Everybody's yeah. grandfather. He's just that old. That's very sweet. It's just, like, a Kumbo there, and he's weeping because he's a big man, and he's got big feelings. I'm so happy that she got married. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Lucky Sevens is just there, like, patting the big man in the shoulders. Don't you worry now. They're gonna be fine. Lucky Sevens is here. That means everybody's gonna be lucky. <laughs> Woo! I do like the idea that all of Kieran's friends from the brothel house he used to work at are there. <laughs> yes! Oh, Jenny's Hall is there. Oh. In their Sunday best. They look amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They're the bridesmaids and grooms. It's the Jackson Jennies. Mm hmm. Yes. Oh, love this. That's very good. I will make mention that there is someone there that is mentioned in the book, but has never made an appearance on screen ever before now. Madam Wenshin is there. Madam Wenshin is the person that gives out mowu and teaches people how to 
be the Mowu artists. She is there and she is a very dark-skinned woman. She has these beautiful patterned silks wrapped up in her hair, which are in a, I want to say like a cornucopia shape, but it's not pointed. It's like that tube kind of deal. There's a lot of locks that are either made of ribbons or twine or some wonderful, like really beautiful patterned rope. And she has these tiny, tiny little spectacles on. She's sitting in a chair. It's the only chair on the beach because Madame Wenshen is a little elderly. I wouldn't say in her 60s, but she's up there. She definitely has a lot of wrinkles on her face, but all of them are because she smiles all the time. And she is just beaming, looking at Kieran. And every once in a while, Kieran will like look over and like wave at her and giving him tons of kisses and stuff. <laughs> There is a little brazier in the sand, and around it in a triangle are Angelica, Saya, and Kieran. They're not wearing anything flashy or over the top. Kieran's is in black, but it's just like a simple shirt and pants, and the two women are in dresses. The only like embellishment that all three of them have is like different knotwork in their hair with like little silver wire and beads and flowers and things. And they've just got their hands clasped as Coraline stands there with like some ribbons and she's like weaving it around their hands. Angelica looks at the two of them. She says, my loves, I will never tire of loving either of you. I promise to fight for our happiness and to right the wrongs of our pasts. On bright days, I will dance and sing with you. In troubled times, I will become the storm against any who threaten us. In the shelter of the night, I will delight in your beauty. Saya, mi cielo. Kieran, mi sombra. Te amo con todo mi corazón. Coraline, taking out this bifold and handing it to all three of you. It's not much, but I did what I could. And uh, if you ever get in trouble, you can always use these. They'll work once, and they won't work with the higher-ups. But any other ship, these should work just fine. Slams the book shut, tosses it behind her. <laughs> Just kiss. <laughs> we kick the brazier into the surf. Yeah. There's a big like thing of smoke. We kiss in the mist that it creates and then step out together, all three of us holding hands. Everybody claps. It's great. Madam Wenchin stands up and bless ya. Bless your hearts. Bless ya all. Free tattoos on me. <laughs> Did the three of them get matching tattoos on their like? Of fucking course they did. Matching tramp stamps. <laughs> <laughs> what they all have is a single band around their wrist that matches oh, all so of them. Cute. I love that. And it will never break unless something goes wrong. What the fuck? All of us hearing that is so sweet, but it's Kieran thinking about it while he's alone. His two lights aren't there anymore. So it's just like a beautiful, sweet flashback. And then it just comes back to Kieran being like, I'm alone. You get back to Kieran and he's folding the letters up and sort of just putting back in the safe. He's definitely got tears at the corner of his eyes. I don't think she ever brought them up because she wasn't sure they'd even work. And if they did, she couldn't risk anyone trying to steal them. 
Though I guess that was a rare instance of naivete on her part. Mallory looks absolutely mortified. Oh, Kieran, I, I am, I didn't mean, mean. And they turn on their heel and leave the room. He just gives a sad little shrug and walks back over to his easel. Sorry, kid. I think at that moment, Wesley just comes up top decks and just shouts, Breakfast is ready! Kieran looks at three plates of just a simple egg and a little pitcher of coffee on, like, the bed stand. Why don't you take some of that with you? I can't touch mine. and I made too much. Well, thank you for getting some extra plates for me. Of course. There's a knock on the door, and then someone walks in, and that someone is Oliver. And Oliver is standing pretty prim and pretty proper, but with a bandana on, because pirates. Excuse me, good captain. Might I trouble you for a moment of your time? Of course, our meeting is over. What can I do for you? I know that I was given leave to work on the cannons and everything, and I do love Gabriella's company. In fact, I've grown quite fond of the woman. And that's neither here nor there. Are there any plans to be returning to Avalon anytime soon? Our first goal was to make it to Castile, safer waters than the deep ocean. You'll have to talk to Dala about the plans for the ship afterwards. Right, so not anytime soon, then. No, we don't have uh, specific plans or reason to return there. I see. Well, then, in that case, I would like to formally and politely ask that at the next port I be let go. I've had my fun, you see. I did enjoy the life of a pirate for a little while there, and it did live up to the books, and I did give it the old college try, but it's not for me. Of course, this is not a prison ship. Once we get to port, you are your own man. You can go where you please, and I wish you I wish you well on your travels. Good. I will be writing all of you in a novel, if you don't mind, because I think that your story should be told, especially since, I don't know, you saved the world, I guess. Seems like a big deal to me. You did much more than any of these pirates. And he holds up several little, like, hand pamphlets of, like, famous pirates. I appreciate the work you have done here. And if you want to write a book about us, well, I hope it does well and makes you a lot of money. And you don't have to explain to me or justify to me not wanting to spend your life at sea. Trust me, I understand the call of the land and getting back home. Right, well, if you ever need anything from me, I am good friends with the King of Castile. Just let me know, I I suppose. And, uh, oh, one more thing. Could I, perhaps, take a bucket with me? Yeah, dude! As a token of my time here on the ship? Of course. Thank you very much, Captain. And he clicks his heels together and does a mock salute, and then takes his hand and thrusts it out to you to shake. Oh, yeah, definitely shake hands. Good day. See, Dala, that wasn't so bad, was it? I didn't realize I was still here. (laughs) Quietly standing to the side. Oh, my God. I thought Zoe said we all left. (laughs) Amazing. You don't have to be. You can cut that. Please keep it in. You have to. No, I like that better that, like, the camera doesn't see that Dala's been there the whole time. And then Diego just turns to talk to her and she's just standing there like, what the fuck? 
Kieran is just walking out of the room with a new bathrobe. Change the names in that book. <laughs> goes to sit on the railing. God damn it. Incredible. I love it. And boss, Esteban is in the guest quarters, which, I mean, do you even have guest quarters on the Thorn? Don't we have, like, storage space that we let people stay in? <laughs> I guess. It's like a multi-purpose. It's like storage, but you could set up. We've got, like, extra hammocks, and they're not, like, great hammocks. Yeah, anywhere down below decks, you can hang a hammock up. So. We mm. lay the stolen furs on top of the stolen boxes. It's real cozy. Exactly. It's real cozy. Esteban is pacing back and forth. Small little line because he doesn't have a lot of places to go. But it's like two steps, turn around, two steps, turn around. That's pretty much it. And he is mumbling to himself and running his hand over the bandana that's covering his hair right now and rubbing the back of his neck and putting his hands on his hips and gesticulating around him. And he's speaking in Castilian. And we get the subtitles of like, I can't believe they're alive. There's no way. They disappeared in the middle of the night. And now all of a sudden they show up? What do I do now? Oh, and by the way, when they show up, of course, because everything always goes wrong when Mallory's around, my fucking ship got destroyed. What the fuck? I can't even go home with the ship that I left on. I spent so much money trying to get that ship only for it to sink in the fucking harbor. I can't believe this. What am I going to tell my mother? And that's when you... <laughs> <laughs> Mallory just vanishes off screen. Mallory has been avoiding Estevan. This is warranted. Yeah, okay. And Boaz, you come across that. Monsieur, ah, the walls uh, cannot this... really respond to your mumbling. Sorry. Hands on my plate. You're going to want to add a little bit of extra seasoning to it just in case. <sighs> it's better than the food that I had. And he takes a, a big heaping handful and just eats it and like licks his fingers. And Boaz, right? You seem troubled. I am very upset. I am so upset I don't even know how to process. I got hired to excavate this area, and I was paid handsomely, but I had to front the ship and pay for the crew and the expenses up front, and I would be reimbursed afterwards if the job was successful. I don't even have a ship now. I have nothing to show for it, and I don't even know if I can go back to the ATC after what happened. I'm out of job. Well, for starters, you have your life, which is, among other things, one of the best things to have. I suppose. Second, you have people that will vouch for you. No offense. You're a bunch of pirates. No offense taken. We can vouch for you two pirates. Who do you think are the best people to work with, hmm? I guess not all is lost. I, I do have a ship that's being made right now. Ah. It's for my own personal exploits. Mm-hmm. I assume probably reinforced to deal with whatever things may come up. Oh, no. I was going to go find all sorts of unknown islands and have myself a little vacation, honestly. Well, who would I be to stop you from pursuing a vacation? The most elusive of treasures. <sighs> They're running around all of Thea trying to search for a stupid... Never mind, that's not important. Running around Thea searching for a stupid is... Quite literally, is what my life is. Sometimes the stupid is in various human forms. And usually it's more of the stupid that they have done than the stupid that they are. Yep. But I digress. Monsieur, if I may ask you a question. 
Sure. Shoot. What are you about? What am I about? I'm about finding antiquities that don't belong in the hands of, say, I don't know, the Inquisition. Mm -hmm. I'm about making sure that the little guy doesn't get pushed around by the big guy, if you know my meaning. Mm -hmm. I'm also about finding things that ought not be found. Mm -hmm. And I was about that. In fact, I'd, I reckon I did a pretty good job. But you lose a couple of things trying to find greatness. Now, Monsieur, I must explain to you. There is a saying that we have in Montaigne. Le vrai, raconne, la vrai. I'll never be able to say that. What does that mean? I believe the translation is real recognizes real. <laughs> we are made of similar metal, I'd say. I need your help with something. You need my help with something. Well, I'm afraid to say that I, I no longer have a ship, but luckily you do. It is not something that requires a ship. It's something that requires knowledge. Oh, well, don't you have Mallory? This is true. Do they tell you that they know everything all the time? Oh, no, they have never told me that. But <laughs> I have seen that they pretty much know everything most of the time. 98% hmm. of the time, they are accurate 100% of the time. But the other 2%, well, that's more like 200%. I am not a mathematician. You're very bad at math, monsieur. Hmm? We say, right? Anyway, what knowledge could I give you that Mallory doesn't know? Well, Mallory is the one who specifically said I should seek out you. He is taking a drink from a flask and spit takes. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Mallory suggested I speak to you. Did he give you that in writing? No. Is there physical evidence that he said this to you? If you want, we could go and speak with him and just check. They probably would want to talk about it anyway. Oh, no, they would never say it out loud. I was just hoping you had some kind of physical evidence that they deferred to me on a subject. You can take my word for it. All right. What is it? I'm seeking to hunt down some monsters, and I have come to the understanding that you happen to know the location of a weapon I am looking for. Estevan was very enthusiastic and like nodding along the whole time as you continue to explain what you're doing. And then you mentioned the word sword and his eyes get kind of wide, kind of looks from side to side, takes a side sip of his flask, takes a big gulp. Now, it is my understanding that this sword is missing. How did you know that? My friend, have you ever been in the walkway? Do you know what the walkway is made of? No. Memories. Events that have happened. Things that might not happen. Things that are, could be happening at this very moment. Twisted in all their various ways as people have remembered them or have forgotten them. And I have seen. Well, mostly overheard. I didn't really make out your face that well. I see. So, about that... Mm hmm I wasn't the one who lost it, see? The original wielder who came with me. Well, some things happened, you see? And uh, we kind of got caught in a fight with some rather unsavories, and they didn't make it. And neither did the sword. I didn't misplace it. I more didn't go back for it. All that happened at Lamont? 
We were resupplying before we headed to Numa, and it should still be there. Frankly, Monsieur, short of giving me the sword itself, you have given me something greater than I had. Yeah? Hope. Oh! Okay. What do you got on it? I've got a book. You have a book? Hmm? I don't even have a book. I got this. He holds up a scrap piece of paper that he has kept in his back pocket that is crinkled and waterlogged and burned and got soot on it and maybe blood. And it is a map over a map. And it's a piece of Lamont, but it's like the subversion of Lamont. So like if there were catacombs beneath Lamont. I had this. And you have a book? They wrote a book? I take it back. You are made of far better metal than I, considering all you had to work with. Many sleepless nights, sir. How about this? You finish your meal, I'll grab the book, and we'll compare notes. I would love to. And he will go immediately to get the book. Mm -hmm. He will bring it back. He also brings an extra serving of food. He does give you that little map, by the way, since you gave him the book. Ooh, map. Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, an image of Lamott, but beneath that, in possibly invisible ink at the time, is a map of the catacombs that are beneath it. And there is a, a little red X. Red X, red door. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Alrighty. Dala, what are you doing? After breakfast, Dala goes back to her quarters, writes down that thing she noticed about Mallory their eyes. I think she opens up her personal journal and kind of writes at the top of it things to do as captain and kind of scribbles down some ideas and like scratches stuff out and like is just trying to brainstorm a little but like everything she writes down she kind of ends up just scratching out and be like oh no that's stupid I don't know what I'm doing okay oh Dala but she's trying she's thinking about it oh I love that And then after a little while of just kind of not really getting anywhere with that, flips to a different page and flips backwards a little bit and starts going over her notes about the runes. Mm -hmm. After the incident with the tree and stuff, I heard some stuff while I was younger. I know some of the folklore. Let me try and get some of this down that I remember and then maybe try and sketch some stuff. I know if I sketch it out, it doesn't have magic. So like that's safe. Mm hmm. She's, like, studying, basically. I don't think she would have any books with her on any kind of magic like this from home. She's got some books, but not, not like, a library's worth, so. Can I posit something? Absolutely. A children's book that your dad might have read to you? Yes. There is a children's book about the word, and what I mean by that is W-Y-R-D, not W-O-R-D. Word is the destiny of any Vestin that lives. It's kind of set in stone as to what you're going to be and what you're going to do for your life. And you don't really know your word immediately when you're born, but it is a big part of Vestin culture. And so, to help teach children about what their word is, there's this book, and it's called All About the Word. And it depicts this young woman who doesn't know what she's doing in life. Her mother's a baker and her father's a fisherman. 
but she doesn't know if she wants to be a baker or if she wants to be a fisherman. So it's just this children's book of her going through and I did baking, but I'm really bad at it and I burn everything. And so I don't think that's my word. And then fishes with her dad, but gets tangled up in the fishing line and like always loses the fish and is always loud and scares the fish away. I don't think I'm a really good fisherman, so I don't think fishing is my word either. And then come to find out, it's neither of those. She's really good at drawing. And so she found that her word was creating pictures. And so she would draw her mother baking or draw her father fishing and draw the village and draw these animals. And she was a storyteller. She became a Vala through her art telling the story. And so it's like the the ending of the book is like, and my word is beauty. So you remember your father reading you that book and sitting you down and everything and doing all the voices and and having, you know, bedtime story. And that was your favorite book growing up. And he gave that to you when you left. He gave you like a secret pack of like, here, here's food, here's like whatever you need and everything. And you had no idea that the book was in there until you got on the ship opened it up and saw that the book was there and you're like, Dad, no! Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of hidden. Like, if there's a bunch of books on the shelf, it's like behind them. You've got like medical journals in front. It looks very boring. Yeah, it's very like secret and I don't think she takes it out that often because it's very emotional. It's sentimental. Yeah. And it's a kid's book so she doesn't have any reason to go back to it. She just knows it's there. Mm-hmm. I also would like to posit that this book is wrapped in seal skin to protect it from every time you guys have to go under or whatever, or just to protect Mm -hmm. it from water damage. So it's safe. It's fine. When you go to open the book, you get to the first couple of pages and you recognize them as, you know, nostalgia floods your memory. But as you get to the fourth page, the little girl in the illustration is moving and the words on the page kind of blur out and you see this illustration wave at you oh she's gonna kind of flip through a couple of pages and see if they're all doing that the next couple of pages are blank oh she'll go back to the page with the waving girl and kind of like pull it closer to her face and then lean back like oh my god is there something wrong with my eyes you see runes be scribed across the top of the page and as they're being written they're translated so that you can read them don't be alarmed it's just me ek ek ecarilla ah can you hear me she feels really stupid saying this out loud (laughs) ecarilla holds up a hand to her ear and then mimes writing and points up She'll, like, rush over to her desk and grab something to write with and write back in the book. I think at first she would just write, hi. (laughs) Hi. This is weird. I'm here to give you your second room. Oh. She will write, okay, thank you. What are they? How How do we get started? So the little illustration sits down and takes out a a notebook or something and begins to write. And you see the lettering come up and it's smaller because there's a lot to write. She tells you that when you are using your runes, there needs to be a physical aspect to it. So you can either use clay or 
stale bread or even glass if you wish, but there has to be some kind of physical element when you write your rune. When you want to use it, you have to break it. Mm -hmm. Like activation, right? An activation, yes. Yeah. So when you are writing out your runes, there has to be intent and there has to be the will. And once you break it, your will is then sent to whatever or whomever it was intended for. And she explains to you that there is a balance to these things. You want to always use your runes for the act of good because the world will balance itself out and everything will be great. But if you use it for ill, then it only begets more ill. Good begets good, ill begets ill. At the end of an explanation, she'll be like, do you understand? Mm-hmm. Doll is following along. I think it's very much like this sounds familiar. She's getting a deeper explanation of stuff that she kind of heard as a kid. So it's like all coming back to her now. Mm-hmm. Ekarilla actually asks, I see a lot of medical implements. Are you a doctor? Dalla will write back, kind of. Ekarilla then proceeds to go, oh, that's very wonderful. You can also write your runes inside of bandages, especially if those are for healing. If you're not around to help the person when they most need it, it can be activated through other means. Oh. So she can put runes on something and give it to someone, and then when they need it because they've been hurt, it'll activate? Yes. Your runes specifically. That's very good to know. She continues to write. You have strong, latent magical ability. It's just ellipsis sleeping. But much like you shouldn't wake a worm, worm being W-Y-R-M, which is a mythical monster that lives in Beston, you should do it gradually. If you try to awaken it all at once, I'm afraid bad things will happen. So far, your magic is attuned to healing and helping. And so she lays out the runes. She actually writes the runes for you and explains, you know, this one is for steadfastness and resolve and endurance. This one is for recovery and rest and healing. Dala's been copying over the runes and like taking some notes and stuff as they've been talking. She'll ask, how can I practice this to make sure I don't hurt anyone? Ekarilla smiles again. A little bit of intent goes a long way, but as long as you're using it for good, only good things can happen. So in the event that the magic backlashes, it's only an overabundance of good that can happen. It's good to know. Dala will write, how can I talk to you again after this? How can I call upon you if I have questions? Ekarilla smiles and she writes her name in runes up top. It is a little complicated. There's a lot of lines and dots and various striations, but it's basically a bind rune. All you need to do is write this rune. I can't give you all of the answers, but I will help you where I can. 
has their conversation been like staying or is it like disappearing and then they're writing more and then it disappears? It's disappearing and then writing more. All right. So she'll copy over her name so she has it. Promises to her that she'll do her best and kind of tries to make it clear how grateful she is that she's getting so much help. And just thanks her a bunch. If I need you, I'll contact you. If I have questions or if I need help, I'm going to do my best. Ekarilla gives you a thumbs up and uh, proceeds to walk across the page into the position that the illustration was in originally and takes that pose and then the normal words come back, the illustrations come back, and it's just a childhood book about the word again. Doll is just going to like furiously take a whole bunch more notes and then start brainstorming and practicing the runes and I think she's going to grab some bandages and try to basically practice putting some of those healing runes in the bandages the first one's kind of messy and weird and she's like well it's probably not going to work like tries another one and like rolls it up and keeps it safe to give to someone yeah if you want to spend a hero point you can absolutely have one of those bandages be blessed with a, a healing rune yes I will do that. Yeah. For clarification, mechanically, when it is activated, it will heal for five wounds. Not a dramatic wound. Let me be perfectly clear. It will heal for five wounds. Wow. Hell yeah. This is what she's working on all day, I think. (laughs) She'll keep checking on Paco. This is like after breakfast. I feel like she probably works through lunch. And then Wesley comes and brings her some food because he notices she didn't come to lunch. He just puts the plate there and doesn't say anything because he doesn't want to bother you. Dala, you now have both of your runes. I will write them up and send them to you. But one of them is healing and the other one is like a support boost. Yay! Diego knocks on Dala's door. Dala doesn't get up. She just calls out. It's open. Dolly, would you mind dressing up my wounds again? She looks up and there's papers strewn everywhere. It is a mess in here. It reminds you of Mallory's lab. Oh, Diego, yeah, sorry. Come in. And she'll shuffle her stuff together and kind of put it in a messy pile so it's not all over the place and lead you over to one of the infirmary beds. She gathers up some supplies and as soon as she starts pulling the bandages off, she goes... You should have come to see me sooner. It's okay, though. I'll get you fixed up. And she's laser-focused on changing the bandages and applying antiseptic, courtesy of Mallory, of course. And she's back. She's the ship doctor again. I also wanted to thank you for helping me earlier with Angelica. When she called out to you, I... I would not have been able to fight you. You shouldn't have had to fight me. In that moment, I didn't know what I was going to do. And then Angelica gave me that order, and it sealed the deal for me. It proved that she wasn't in her right mind at the time. She wasn't herself. She never, ever would have ordered me to do something like that. And so... I did what I had to do. I appreciate that. Love makes us a little loco. You be careful out there. I don't think I have to worry about that, but thank you. Uh, I don't know about that. Once you are a captain, 
You'll get a lot more attention than you did in the uh, bowels of the ship. We'll see. I don't know. This ship has had a lot of captains recently. I'll give it a shot and I'll do my best. But ultimately, I want to do what's best for the whole crew. And if I'm not fit to be the captain, I'll find someone who is. Exactly. If it doesn't work out for you, you just pass the hat on to someone else. You see how easy it is. That that can't be how it really works. <laughs> well, if you find someone who disagrees and says that's not how it works, then you just throw them overboard. I don't think throwing people overboard is usually the first course of action. We're kind of unique that way. And as she's like bandaging up your shoulder, she'll kind of like poke you on the neck with the gill tattoos. Well, I'll be looking forward to not needing those anytime soon. Mm. Dala goes silent for a long time and you can tell she's like thinking. You can see it in her face. She's like trying to figure out what to say. And she finishes wrapping up your shoulder and kind of tapes down the last bandages. And she kind of like pats you on the top of the shoulder. I know you have only been captain for a day, but it's been an honor fighting by your side. And I'm really happy to see you go home to your family. We're going to miss you, but I know this is for the best. If you ever need anything from us, don't hesitate to call us back and we'll all be there. Even if even if we're not all together on the thorn anymore, we'll all come back. Well, I can't promise I'll write to you as often as I write to Liliana, but we still have that drawer that we can use to send messages. So don't be afraid to write. One of the things about being a captain is it takes a lot of other people to make things work. You can delegate. Ask for help. I will. And trust me, you don't have to know all the rules of the captain. You can just throw anyone who disagrees with you overboard. She'll reach her hand out to, like, shake your hand. And if you take it, she'll do, like, a really firm handshake, and then she'll pull you in for a big old bear hug. Diego does not take your hand at all. He just goes in for the hug. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Big, big hug. And then she'll pat you on the back and pull away and change the bandages twice a day. Come back to me if you need anything. Twice a day. I <laughs> And keep it clean. Paco speaks up. Hermano. <laughs> I don't want to hear any of that. You do as Dala says, or I'll come after you. You hear me? I'll get up out of this bed and smack you so hard. Uh, you're going to wish I didn't smack you so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wish to tempt either of your rats. Do not worry. I'll bandage it three times a day if I need to. Bueno. That's too many. Just two is fine. How about you, Paco? Are you getting enough empanadas down here? I've got so many empanadas. It's the best day of my life. Some beer would be wonderful with these empanadas. I know. I know. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I know. <laughs> You've been doing better lately. Maybe. Maybe just a little bit of beer. Oh, Dala. Just a tiny bit. You're a saint. I could kiss you. But I'm stuck in bed, so... I'm going to have to wait until I can get up and actually kiss you. <laughs> She's kind of just patting his head of like, okay, I know, it's okay. You don't have to explain yourself. She's used to this. He'll like wake up and kind of speak a little bit of nonsense and be confused and then go back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> he does eventually go to sleep. She'll give you some extra rolls of bandages and then see you on your way. <laughs>
Hi, friends. You know what to do. Empty what you gotta empty. Refill what you gotta refill. Maybe grab some more tissues. <laughs> Take a breather while we enter the mid-reel. And I tell you about the wonderful people who helped to make this possible. The first is the Crafty Gamer. They've got a wonderful line of soy-based hand-poured candles that really help you get immersed into your game. Whether you're in a tavern, meeting your fellow adventurers for the first time, or you've been together forever and are delving a new dungeon. Or even if you're just sitting in a small library, enjoying a good story, like this one. You can find that and more over at thecraftygamer.com and use the code Writer's Room for 10% off. Ten Quills Dice also sponsors the Writer's Room. If you need artisan sets of D10s to help you tell your story, I'd be more than happy to help. That's right. If you don't know by now, I handcraft all of those D10s. And it's looking like in the near future, I'll be able to pour other sets of dice as well. You can find me on my socials at 10quillsdice and at 10quillsdice.com. You all know who Emery Chelsberg is. He is the voice of our wonderful and manic Dr. Mallory McCoy. He is also the mastermind behind all of the phenomenal illustrations you have seen thus far for The Fate of the Thorn. You can own one of those illustrations yourself by heading over to his gallery page and supporting him directly so that he can continue to create these absolute masterpieces. And speaking of continuing creations, Thank you very much to all of our Kofi crew. The officers, the scallywags, the deckhands, and I'd also like to thank all of our listeners. Every share, every like, every retweet, every tale you tell of us helps to spread the word that the writer's room is always open and ready to tell stories of the seventh sea nature. And remember... You can find the links to all of our sponsors, as well as their respective discount codes, in the description of each article. Now, this mini-series isn't over yet, so let's continue the story. As the camera transitions back and away from that scene with Dalla and Diego, Emery, why don't you take the camera for a little while and show us what's going on with Mallory? I think it's starting to press into the evening when Kieran gets a very tentative knock on the captain's quarter's door, followed by the captain's quarter door opening whether he answers it or not. He just gives sort of a, a non-committal like, <laughs> How's he looking? He's engrossed in this thing he's been working on all day. Still over at his easel. Yeah, Mallory slowly walks up behind him. They're holding something behind their back, but it's pretty clear that Kieran's not actually paying that much attention to them. 
I like the idea that you don't see what he's painting yet. He's like got it facing the door. So eventually he kind of like checks to see if someone came in the room. Yeah. Oh, doctor. Hi. Um, is it okay that I'm here? Yes. I'm sorry about before. Everyone's a little raw still, I think. Yeah, no, it's fine. It, it's all right. Uh, you don't have to be sorry. Um, you know, we were talking a lot in the officers' meeting, and, you know, Wesley was asking if the captain was going to be back at all, and pretty final in stating that she probably wasn't for a while, but, but I suppose you would know her best. Do you think she's coming back? Kieran is quiet for a bit. And I think you eventually see fresh tears the corner of his eyes, but he looks up at you as he pulls himself together and he says, I choose to think so. Angelica and I have known each other a long time. We've been in love about as long. But she seems to come and go from my life like a breeze. Can't make up its mind. She's just like the sea in that way. Wild and untamable. I have to accept that about her. Because that's her nature. And because I love her. Hmm. Mallory pauses for a brief moment, thinking about that. I wonder what is worse then. To know someone closely and briefly only to have them be pulled away or to have someone with you forever and not be able to touch them. No matter what, you end up getting hurt. That's what love is. There's either too much of it and you ache or it's gone and you ache all the more. I... Kieran, I, um, I shouldn't have cracked the safe. But I did it super well, and I didn't even damage it, and I swear I was just trying to get the apple from it. The captain didn't know what it was, but I did, and she wouldn't listen to me, even though she knew that I knew more about it than she did. And Mallory just, like, bursts out something that I think is supposed to be an apology. <laughs> and as they're sort of rambling words in their mouth, they pull out their hands from behind their back and try very subtly to return Kieran's sketchbook. <laughs> to the table beside him. It's a sketchbook and also there is a little box shaped thing about the size of his hand wrapped up in a brown parchment paper on top of the sketchbook. Kieran notices, but doesn't bring it up. It's all right, Mallory. You know, we never talked about having kids. Gods no, I'd fuck that up. But Angelica, I think she considered you one of hers. In her own way. Oh. I imagine that's why it was so hard for her these last few days. I, I, I didn't even realize, I suppose. Um, Kieran, you could have been captain if you wanted to. Dala, she'll figure it out. I never could. I can steer a boat. I know how it works. Bossing people around, telling them what to do, when to do it. It's not me. No, I... I work best in the quiet hours. When I have something I can really focus on. 
You need to multitask when you're a captain. Angelica was great at that. She is great at that. No, I don't think I'm captain of this ship, though I don't intend on leaving. Whoever moves in, I hope they're ready for a roommate. <laughs> All right, well, if I suppose if you're not going anywhere, um, I was wondering, you don't have to say yes. Could you? Could you do another tattoo for me? That depends. I make it a rule not to work on anyone going through a difficult time. Too many clients with regrets otherwise. <laughs> I mean, but like, this'll help me get out of a difficult time, Kieran. Kind of cocks an eyebrow. All right, so I was going through your sketchbook, and uh, they like move the little like wrapped thing on top of it and start flipping through the sketchbook. I admit I don't understand a lot of it, and I don't think I'm intended to, but, but, but this one right here. And they flip to one of the tattoo designs in the sketchbook, uh, the anchor. And they've drawn a little something in the corner. <laughs> what does this one do? Moe is not very subtle. With the symbolism, that one binds you to someone else. You become an anchor point for each other. You can always tell where the other person is. I know you're probably not going to go seeking out Angelica. I need to go find Coco, and he is very difficult to find. Kieran takes the sketchbook back, looks at the design, closes it, and then he stands up and kind of paces around the room for a minute. I promise I won't scream like the last time you gave me a tattoo. <laughs> no, that's not... <laughs> that's not it at all. Kieran... The way MoWu works is that people don't come up to you to ask for tattoos. You just get the inspiration to give them the tattoo. Yeah. But looking at the sketch, taking a minute and really looking at Mallory, Madam Wenshin once told you, sometimes they know exactly what they want. It is your job to do it justice in whatever medium is deemed necessary. He eventually comes back and sits down at the easel. And he turns the canvas around for the first time so you can see what it is. And it's an oil painting. Still not quite fully finished in all the corners of it, but you can tell immediately that it is an image of Angelica and Saya standing together in a artistic draped bit of fabric and a lot of vines where all the blossoms have had the petals removed and they make a carpet of black on the ground plane. And it's just the two of them simply drawn, like they might even be wearing like sort of like gossamer, like night shifts kind of a thing. I've been working on this for several hours. Kieran, this is incredible. Did you paint them from memory? I didn't want to forget anything. You're asking me to help you find the thing that may have cost me the two most important people in my life. And he gives you this little puckish grin. I was never sure of it before, but you're a bloody pirate, Mallory McCoy. Let's get that shirt off. <laughs> That's so good. Holy shit. 
Oh, Kieran, I thought you'd never ask. Mallory strips down real sexy like, what? <laughs> Sorry, wrong scene. <laughs> Actually, wait, it's kind of chilly in here. Can I like it's half cold. put it back I'm on? Chewing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm chewy. I'm chewy. I'm literally wearing a strip of leather that's holding beakers. Uh, a strip of leather to cover the nipples and that's, that's it, boys. That's it. Yeah. God damn. When Kieran is done, Mallory, still bleeding a little bit, has a brand new tattoo on their chest, placed slightly to the left over their heart. The design appears to be a an anchor overlaid on a compass rose, but there's something a little bit off about the compass. Instead of eight points, it has seven. It is a little seven-point star. When the tattoo is done, they take like an alcohol rag and disinfect it quickly. Ah! Said he wouldn't scream. <laughs> it's not a scream, it's just a small yelp. It's cold. Uh, if you don't mind, I have a painting to finish. I'm in debt to you, Kieran. If this does anything to help me find what I've lost, I will do everything to help you find them again. I believe you. Good night, Mallory. Good night, Kieran. And they watch you leave. And then he goes for the package. Opens it up. The paper it's wrapped in is not paper itself. They are blueprints, or brown prints perhaps, because it is parchment paper, for a very early wind-up powered tattoo pen. Hmm. The first tattoo pen was invented in 1876. We're pushing the timeline just a little bit. This is the first prototype for a quickly alternating needle that will stab in and out of the skin super fucking fast, can be loaded with ink, and is powered by a little wind-up mechanism. That is so fucking cool. There's a note that says, please be careful with this. Oh, you already made it, you madman. It exists? Like, it's a physical object? Yes. Oh, okay. It is wrapped in the blueprints. Oh, okay. This is the first prototype. Oh, that's rad as fuck. Kieran looks it over, reads the blueprints, looks at it again, continues to read them over. You brilliant little idiot. How am I supposed to commit my style with this? He puts it on a shelf and goes back to painting. (laughs) (laughs) Kids these days, no attention to the classics. <laughs> <laughs> Madam Wenshin would use it to tattoo my entire body. <laughs> Think of how quickly you could tattoo an entire body with this. Yeah, like I it suspiciously. <laughs> Every once in a while, like leans around the painting. Maybe no, I won't. <laughs> nope, I won't. As the camera like pans out of the captain's quarters, the door is closed. But the camera just catches the smallest little sound of... Motherfucker! (laughs) (laughs) Glass breaking. (laughs) Kieran just has a little dot like in between his thumb and his forefinger. (laughs) He will tell no one what it is from. It's a mole. I've always had it. (laughs) (laughs) He changes his story every time. Doll is like, I don't know, Kieran, that looks new. And if you're getting new ones, we need to, you know, keep track of that. I would have written that down. (laughs) Maybe I should remove it. Oh my god. (laughs) Time passes. And Durs 
you have something special for us. So take the camera. Show us what you got. Okay. So we're on the pole of the ship. Diego's got the sketched up handmade book. Pictures drawn by Tulio. And he holds out the cover. Got this nice little orange fox in the middle with all these little animal heads around the outside of the border. Just sort of poking in. It's story time. It's story time. Okay. When I say, what does Zorito say? That is when you all need to come in and make the sounds that Zorito would say. I don't do animal sounds. Mallory, come on! It's unbecoming of a scientist with a PhD. We have to make noises! That's the whole point! Okay, fine. I'm just saying, if you're asking what Zorito says, be ready for me to answer with a scientifically correct answer. (laughs) Just incredibly aggressive, accurate animal noises from Mallory the whole time. Diego sort of quickly flips past the dedication page because you always sort of flip past the dedication page. The astute listener notices that it is dedicated to Inigo Iglesias and Liliana Maria Iglesias. Un poquito de zorito. Once upon a cockadoodle-doo! He shows the picture and we've got this little rooster announcing the big cockadoodle-doo that all the words take up the full pages. And he talks about all of these animal friends in quick succession. The thing that stands out to little Zorito the most is the blueberry bushes. So I want to go see the blueberries. And the rooster says, oh, I will take you to the blueberries. Turns the page and they go through the forest with all the trees and eventually getting to the blueberry bushes where they meet Gabriella, the European badger who has got her black and white stripes covered with the blue from the little blueberries. She helps little Zorito with getting some blueberries down and she shows him how to dig little holes so you can store the little berries for later. Now that is a good fucking badger. (laughs) Eventually, Gabriella goes underground because that's where she lives and Zorito is eating some berries outside and Eventually, he notices that everybody's gone. So Zorito begins to head back through the forest. And we can see that it's a little bit darker as we're going through the forest this time. And unfortunately, Zorito did not have his rooster friend to help guide him through the forest. So he began to get very lost. But Zorito did not get scared because Zorito always knows what to do. What does Zorito say? Mallory makes the sound of an actual fox. (laughs) Give us another one. And who hears Zorito? He turns the page. The sleepy parrot, the clever raven, and the watchful hawk. They fly down and they land on branches in the tree above him. What is the matter, little Zorito? While I am lost from my home, can you help me? They... Oh, well, we know the way through the forest. We've been here a million times. We can take you back the easy way. And the sleepy parrot is saying, Oh, but my feathers are so tired. I think we can take the shortcut over the river. Sarita likes the idea of a shortcut. Birds fly and they 
bring him to the river where there are some stepping stones where one can get across. So Zorito begins to step and step, but now the stones are a little farther apart than it seemed. So Zorito looks like he's going to get a little bit stuck. But does Zorito worry? No. Zorito knows what to do. What does Zorito say? Gabriella makes the sound of the crow, while Eris makes the sound of a hawk. God, what would Kieran's, like, contribution to this be? Kieran's just listening to the story, like, just crying. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> He's been silently weeping, and he finally, like, can't hold it anymore. Oh God. <laughs> Diego starts, you know, slowly, rhythmically slapping his thigh. Who hears Zorito's call? Turns the page. It is Dala the beaver, and the tail is slapping the water as she yes. goes. The beaver goes to the shore and bites down on a tree, and the tree branch falls across the river. So then Zorito is able to crawl across the tree and get to land safely, where he thanks his good beaver friend Dala. And Dala shows him how to block up the river with more twigs and branches. And they are able to get home. And when they are all gathering up for a nice little bedtime story, listen to Zora, who is telling the story of the boots. The <laughs> and she tells about how they are mean and how they stomp over everything and they stomp in the forest and they stomp on the beaver's constructions and they eat all the berries and they eat all the food and now they are no, no good. So, whenever you see the boots, you need to be very careful of them and stay away. Then they all get ready to go to sleep and they make a nice cuddle pile. You can see them all gathered together nice and warm. And he turns the page. And everyone's eyes are shut except for Zorito's, which are just big wide open. But Zorito can't sleep. Zorito decides to get himself a little drink of water. And he knows where the water is. It's not too far. So Zorito makes his way out of the cuddle pile, but it is quite dark out, and, and then the moon's light goes away behind the clouds, so little Zorito cannot see a thing. <gasps> and at first Zorito thinks, I know exactly what to do. I will be big and loud and get all my friends to me, but... Ah, Zorito doesn't want to wake up all of his friends in the middle of the night. And he starts to see little red glowing orbs in the distance. And he doesn't want to attract any of those to himself. So, Zorito thinks he needs to get the attention of one of his friends who has very good hearing. And always manages to hear you when you are in trouble. So what does little Zorito whisper? Wesley looks around at everybody who's like riveted by the story and finally just goes <laughs> oh, no. oh my god and who hears Zorito's cry for help it is our good friend Pendragon the Bat hell yes hell yes oui oui monsieur you seem to be out lost in the woods what can I, I do for you good Amboise impression he sounds more montane than I do <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am lost and I can't see. It is so dark out. Do not worry. Close your eyes and I will guide you back. And so, 
Pendragon hops on Zorito's back and has Zorito close his eyes so little Zorito doesn't see all the spooky red eyes of the forest looking for little tasty treats with four legs walking about. Pendragon knows the ways so, so he's able to get home safe. And then they all join the cuddle pile. The next day, Zorito's good friend, Sandy, and Sandy is a little lion cub. <gasps> Sandoval. Baby. That's cute. <laughs> He's friends with the king. <laughs> they are hungry, so they decide to go get themselves some food from the river. But when they get to the edge, they can't get any of the fish. The fish are too deep under the water. But Zorito always knows what to do. What does Zorito say? Wow, wow! And who hears Zorito's call? Then you see the four large cats. The tiger, the puma, the lynx. Panther's real cool. Aren't pumas and panthers like the same but thing? But they're different colors. <laughs> okay. They're brothers. Okay. And they show him to a special spot in the river where the fish have to jump up out of the water a little bit. And that is the perfect time to catch the fish. And that way you don't have to get your paws wet because that's not something that his teals are very fond of. I hate getting my paws wet. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, they're full of fish and they're enjoying a nice relaxing time by the river. And they decide to go exploring. Sandy and Zorito follow the river along. And as they follow the river along, they come across a pair of boots. No! And at first, they listen very carefully to Zora's words about not letting the boots see you. So they hide behind a log. And the boots walk by. They are not seen by the pair of evil shoes so they are okay they can relax Oliver was shaking Mallory it's like it's alright everything's fine they're going to be okay I am 25 years old <laughs> the astute watcher of the picture will notice that this second time that you see Zorito and Sandy behind the log that it's a little bit darker shaded than the last time and it zooms back, and there's a pair of boots right behind them! No! Oh, no! But does Zorito get scared? No, Zorito doesn't get scared. Zorito knows what to do. What does Zorito and Sandy say? They say, fuck the ATC. <laughs> <laughs> Mallory. Sorry, can't... fuck the Inquisition. <laughs> no, you can't say that either. <laughs> He's a child, he'll learn. Fuck was my third word. I don't know. <laughs> And with that, we see the mighty Zoro leaps into action and steps between the two boots at just the right time, causing them to trip and fall over. Quick, run, boys. I will keep them distracted. And so Zorito and Sandy run up the river. They all meet up at home and they all discuss how brave Zorito and Sandy were. They decide to have some desserts of blueberries after the fish. So they go off. But when they get to the blueberry bush, they just see regular bushes. They start investigating, and it looks like all of the blueberries are gone. <gasps> 
and they look around and they see a large bear. <gasps> and they notice some wolves are in the area as well. Oh my god, that's so many predators all in one place. And it's just this full spread. But did Zorito get scared at seeing all these bears and these wolves? No, Zorito knows what to do. What does Zorito say? Oliver leaps up and throws his coat up over his head and opens it out really big. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, everyone. Black bears don't like loud noises or anything bigger than they are. Most black bears are herbivores. (laughs) But it wasn't loud enough. Zorito needed to be even louder. What did Zorito say? Come on, crew. We got to scare this fucking bear off. And so, and he just runs through the full list of animal friends, all showing up. When we turn to see, the predators are all gone. They did it. It is good to have all of your friends come by and help you and support you. Yay! (laughs) And as they are all getting ready, for their nice evening cuddle pile. Zorito does his usual thing of counting his friends before bed. As one does. Instead of counting sheep, you count friends. Exactly. He's got so many. Take attendance for the cuddle pile. (laughs) But Zorito notices that not everybody is here. (gasps) Zora, where did everybody go? Not everybody is here. (laughs) Oh. Oh my god. So cute. It's going to get pretty cold here. It is a fine temperature for us to huddle up underground. But it is not a good temperature for them. Sometimes they have to go where the temperature is right for them. But just you wait, little Zorito. You will see them come by next year. They always come back in the spring. What the fuck? Why would you say that? Fuck you, nurse! Fuck you! <laughs> I'm a multi cry. The old wombo combo cry. Oh, fuck. And what does Zoro say? Go the fuck to sleep. Late. <laughs> you guys make me read this till like 1 a.m. It is way past your bedtimes. It's going to be way harder for Wesley oh, to wake right, you all sorry, up tomorrow. Captain. Really great. Thank you so much for the story. Now we can all go to bed. Everybody go to bed. Come on. There's clearly like 12 more pages, but he's sick <laughs> oh, of it. He just needs some editing. And that's when they all went to bed. Okay, good night. Goodbye. Karen just walks up, clutching his like pearls. Just like, I never should have made you captain. <laughs> he doesn't mean that. I propose that the crew of the Thorn create a little cuddle pile on the deck so they can, like, watch the stars as they head up to Castile. Oh, it's a nice night out. It's warm. We have a sleepover! I love that Diego's kind of like, alright, alright, everyone go to bed, and then we're all just like... But, like, everyone's in their <laughs> beds, like, already. All he does is just go around putting the, the lanterns out, you know? Oh. Everyone takes out, like, blankets from behind them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. And <laughs> just kind of all snuggle up oh, together. Oh, that's so cute. Mm-hmm. Scoots over and leaves space for Diego. All right, get in here. Little Zorito. What does little Zorito say? Good night, everyone. <laughs> 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 Mallory 
Much like how little Zerito was probably too awake, you're the only one really who hasn't like closed your eyes and you are staring up at the stars. Yeah. I've got the little like Alvaro's little telescope. Oh Oh Coco. I suppose I never did find where you would have been in the sky. Oh god! I gotta keep it together. I got one last thing I gotta give y'all. Oh shit. We continue to pan out into the ocean and we keep going and keep going and keep going and the camera's getting faster and faster and faster and faster. Finally, we're at an island. As we follow that camera, it goes on the island, goes over the beach, into the lighthouse. Down, 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 past spiral staircases and shelves upon shelves upon shelves of books. We find ourselves in a library of sorts, with a hearth that has long since been dead, and stardust begins to swirl and coalesce. It's Coco, and he is stuck in the position of reaching out, and he's as a statue. And then finally he starts moving, and is looking around frantically, touches his heartstone. It's still there. It's not cracked or anything. And then he starts shouting. We can't hear what he's saying, but we can read his lips. He's shouting for Mallory. He's tearing books off and opening them and tossing them behind him and continuing just to pull books off the shelves. And finally he throws out his hands and all of the books fly off the shelves and spiral around him. And he's frantically searching and looking and searching and looking On his hand is still that splintering from when he was banished, and he looks at it, turns it into a fist, and screams, and all of the books explode into papers. The lighthouse begins to crumble in on itself. The shelves fall over, until finally something catches his eye, and he grabs it out of midair and holds it, and tears erupt from his eyes. We cut over... We are in Castile as someone is crying, watching a horde of people walk past. And we cut outside and we see these ATC soldiers marching in the streets of Castile. Charlotte is leading the way and points her bloody saber towards. The camera turns 180 degrees and we see a small mansion. And running down the hall is King Sandoval, Liliana and Toussaint. They hide down a back room, shut the door. Liliana crouches down to speak and whisper to Sandoval as Toussaint takes out a knife, rips open his hand, and touches the wall. And Toussaint drops the knife, and he places his hand on a black surface. The world is bleeding. It is open, but there is a barrier. He touches it, looks at his hand, starts slamming on it as much as he can and we see from behind him the flash of muzzles and we watch Liliana and Sandoval flinch we hear that frantic banging we also hear thunder rain is just beating against the windows as we follow a candle on a little candle stick come down a set of stairs and reach this door that's being frantically banged upon. We open the door to see Saya 
holding Angelica in the rain. The water leaking off of her is red. And Saya, you don't know if she's crying or not because it's raining too hard. She looks up at the camera and says, Please, help. And we turn around and we see Coraline in a nightgown with the candlestick. She leans her head out, left and right, grabs Saya, brings her inside, and shuts the door. Oh god, it's all over. You can just do that? (laughs) (laughs) They give you the keys, and you can just park your car there? Yeah, I have a reserved spot uh, right next to... um... One might call them the consequences of our actions. Yeah. (laughs) I think you mean the opportunities of our actions. (laughs) So many opportunities. Two weeks from retirement, come on. (laughs) Shout out to Maya from... Monsters Playbook. What's the hardest thing you've ever fought? Emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Myself. The loss of a loved one. <laughs> that was really good. Remember when it was just monsters? The good old days. <laughs> Natalie, update the bucket counter. They fucking got me. <laughs> you did. Tier bucket count four. Four whole tiers in that bucket. Yeah. Four whole feed tiers. a small gerbil with those tears. I'm just glad that when I make all of you guys cry, I don't cry myself. Mm. You guys have made me cry. But the, like, two times I've really gotten you guys, I've been, like, fine. <laughs> I haven't felt a thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I'm still stuck on love makes us go a little loco. Like, it's a silly line, but it's so heavy when it comes from Diego. And no, and like the fact that they're Mm -hmm. like, you know, adopted, related, like. It's good. He gets it. Yeah. He wasn't just talking about himself. Right. Friends, thank you so much for listening to the tale of the fate of the Thorn. I know, parting is such sweet sorrow. And while you're waiting for season two, you can always go visit them over in Autumn Falls. The link to their podcast is in the description below. It's time to say farewell for now to the Storyteller Squad. I love you all. See you next time. (laughs) Oh, now there is one final surprise I have for you but it is waiting outside the writer's room door. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the Longest Johns for helping us set up this secret surprise. Go on. And remember, be safe and well. Watch that old fire 
as it flickers and dies, that once blessed this vessel and lit up our lives. It shone for the family and brightened our glasses. I'll tend to the flame. You can worship the ashes. Rescue the wild things and bring them inside. And know what was never your right to confide. The life and the love and the songs are what matters. I'll tend to the flame, you can worship the ashes. Do you feel heavy, your eyes robbed of sleep? Your spirit is wild and your suffering is deep. But never you buckle and bend to the masses. I'll tend to the flame, you can worship the ashes. Climb up the mainmast, unfurl your sails, and seek the horizon of glorious tales. Keep to Polaris, set course for your caches. I'll tend to the flame. You can worship the ashes Now show me someone that can meet all their needs For what we need most now is unity's seed A common old song for all nations and classes I'll tend to the flame, you can worship the ashes are entangled for friend and for foe try to hold on to the threads despite lashes I'll tend to the flame you can worship the ashes I'll tend to the flame you can worship the ashes I'll tend to the flame you can worship the ashes